I am so glad that we do this every Sunday. I am so glad that the worship team leads us in song like this every Sunday, that we get a chance to pray together every Sunday, even though we're not in the same room, that we are together is such a huge blessing to me. We worship together, we pray together, we give, we do all these things that are still a part of our worship because you know what? This virus has certainly interrupted our lives, but there is nothing, nothing, nothing that could take away our relationship with Jesus, that vertical relationship that is so important. I know it's been a crazy year. I know it has been a rough year, right? And, and because of that, I got to tell you, one thing I am so thankful for is that we are in this together. That's what this sermon series is about. In this together, the case for community. We've been talking for the last several weeks about how important it is for us to do community, how important our relationships are, and why those relationships matter in the way that they do. And with that in mind, I have to say 2020 has been a challenging year on so many fronts, but I am so thankful that we don't have to do it alone. We are in this together. And so as we, as we navigate 2020 and work our way through that, um, you know, one, there's so many things that we go, oh, what about this? What about this? How's this going to go? I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not sure. I don't know. We've had elections and we've had social upheaval and we have had economic problems and all that kind of stuff. I don't know about you, when it comes to economics, I have been watching the stock market. I don't have a ton of money invested, but what I have is a lot to me, right? And so I care how that's going. I haven't known how is the, um, you know, the, the virus going to affect all of that. How is the election going to affect the stock market? All of those kind of things. So I am no financial planner, but if you will allow me, I want to play um, strategist for you right now. I want to give you an investment tip that is absolutely surefire. Now, you may be thinking, hey, pastor, we don't look to you as a financial planner. That's okay. I have a tip that will not fail in terms of your investment life, and I want you to take it seriously. So, are you ready? I have an insider tip. Here it is. Invest in people. <laughs> you want a surefire investment? Invest in people. Invest in relationships. Invest in the things that matter. Guys, listen. Don't you wish somebody had given you an amazing tip back in the day, like, like when Apple first came out? Don't you wish in 1980, when Apple had its initial public offering, you had maybe bought, I don't know, 100 shares of Apple? <laughs> If you bought 100 shares of Apple in 1980, it would have cost you $2,200. And today, it would be worth $650,000. So when I tell you I've got an important tip, you need to listen to me. Imagine this. Imagine you're graduating from high school. It's 1972. And your grandfather gives you five grand as a graduation 
uh, gift as a way to get started into your adulthood. And you take that 5000 bucks and you invest it in this new company that's just starting up down in the south. Sam Walton's opening a store called Walmart. And you buy $5,000 worth of initial Walmart stock. For that $5,000 investment, do you know what you would have today? You would have $74 million. So guys, don't kick yourself for missing those kind of tips and then not listen to this tip. This tip that I'm giving you today is absolutely can't miss, surefire. And we know that because it comes from God. God in his word says, hey guys, invest in people. Invest in relationships. One of the most significant investments you can make is in key relationships. Family members, right? Friends, neighbors. Invest in people. And, and I think most of us feel like we know that, but somehow too many of us are missing that opportunity. Just like the people who shrugged their shoulders when Sam Walton said, hey, I'm going to start this new kind of store. And that failure to act on our part, it is going to come back to haunt us. And in many cases, we've already been haunted by our lack of investment in key relationships. Loneliness has reached the epidemic level in our society today. Loneliness is worse than it's ever been. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. We mentioned this last week. The numbers are through the roof. Depression, addiction, loneliness, suicide. All these things are skyrocketing to degrees like we've never seen it before in our society. It's a pandemic. And it's been made worse by the other pandemic. But again, let's remember, the virus is not the cause of the problem. The virus just magnifies the problem. Our society has been going the wrong direction on relationships for way too long. We are too busy. We know this. As a society, as individuals, as people, as families, we are too busy. Our lives are too fast-paced. We are rushing from thing to thing to thing, and we're disconnected from the relationships that should be so significant in our lives. There are no more front porches that we're sitting on. It used to be that people sat on their front porches and interacted with the people in their communities. But our front porches have been replaced by garage door openers. Now we drive up in our car, press a button. We don't even get out of the car where we might talk to somebody. We pull into the garage, close the door behind us, get out of our car, and we are isolated in our houses. And even though there are other family members in most of our houses, we tend to isolate ourselves from them because we're all just staring at our device all, all the time. And so gatherings with people have been replaced by screens. We live in a highly populated area. We're passing people all the time. We're just not connecting with them. And we've never felt more isolated and we're hurting due to the lack of meaningful relationships in our lives. 
Now, this is not new, and people understand this. TV producers have always understood this. Always the top TV shows are the ones that deal with relationships. I was just thinking this through, right? Let's just go back a few decades. Think about the 80s. In the 1980s, the number one show on television was a show called Cheers, right? You want to go where everybody knows your name. And it was this group of people, and everybody knew each other, and they were doing life together in their highly dysfunctional, highly inebriated way. They were doing life together, right? Cheers. In the 90s, it didn't change so much. The top show in the 90s was this little show you may have heard of called Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing. But as it turns out, Seinfeld, the show about nothing, was really a show about relationships, wasn't it? It was a show about these people who lived close, closely with one another in their lives. They interacted constantly. They relied upon one another. They did life together, and we were drawn to it. In the 2000s, the top show for that decade was a little show called Friends, right? I'll be there for you. Remember the lyrics that, that song? Let me just read you some of, the, some of the lyrics. You'll remember it. It'll play in your head, right? So no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear, and it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. But I'll be there for, right? You know, I'll be there for you, right? When the rain starts to pour, I'll be there for you. Like I've been there before, I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. A show about people who are there for each other. And we loved it. In the 2010s, the big show on TV was a show called The Office. And I know some of you are rabid Office fans and others are you just shake your, your head, shrug your shoulders and go, I don't get it. But in the office, it's about this paper company in this office where people work at Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. But it is not a show about the workings of a paper company. It's a show about the workings of people's lives and how they interact together and how their lives intersect. It's a show about relationships. And nowadays, 90% of the shows on TV are reality television. Reality in quotes, admittedly. <laughs> Reality TV, right? Where there are real people stuck into a strange situation together and they have to sort of work it out together and figure out what they're going to do. And there's a million of these reality shows and we can't take our eyes off of them because we are drawn to relationships. It's a part of being human. And we talked about this last week. It's a part of being made in the image of God. Now think about it this way. Have you ever known a person who failed to connect with others, but they still lived a joyful and fulfilling life? Can you think of anybody that you've ever known like that? A person who was isolated, uh, a person who was cynical, had no deep friendships, and yet they lived a meaningful, joyful, uh, impactful, wonderful life. Have you ever known a person like that? Or on the other hand, have you ever known a person who didn't have much in terms of material things, but they had deep relationships, strong family ties, deep friendships, real kinship and community with other people? 
and they were miserable? I've never known anybody like that either. See, the things that we think are what make life great are obviously not the things that make life great. God told us what makes life great. Two key relationships, a vertical relationship with God, a horizontal relationship with people. We need to love God and love people, and that gives life meaning. And so if you're struggling right now and going, man, I just don't know where the meaning is in my life, maybe it's because you're not investing in those relationships. We love relationships. We crave relationships. We need relationships. But relationships are difficult. Relationships are somewhat dangerous. Relationships take hard work. So instead of having relationships, we have settled for coming home, closing the door behind us, turning on our 65-inch 4K TV, and watching fake relationships rather than investing in and developing real relationships in our own lives. Now, you may not be watching it on a 65-inch TV. You might be watching it on a little screen in your hand. The point is the same. We have taken a shortcut that is costing us dearly. We're not investing in relationships. Now you say, oh, pastor, I have relationships. I have, so, I have 733 friends on social media. I have 1,800 followers on Instagram. Guys, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, I live in a neighborhood. There's 3,000 people who live just in my complex where I live. That's not what I'm talking about either. I'm talking about people you can rely on. People who know what's going on in your life. People who you are investing in what's going on in their lives. And that is lacking for too many of us. It's too scary. It takes too much work. It's too dangerous. And so we're not doing it. And, and fake relationships on television and, and superficial so-called friends online are easy to manage. And so we just do that. It's a smaller investment. And that's attractive. But guys, guess what else it is? It's a smaller payout on the investment. And as a society, and as individuals, we are reaping what we have been sowing for decades in our lives. Seems almost... Like the spiral has gone so far that there's no way to reverse it. But I'm here to tell you today, there is a better way. I want you to take your Bibles and open right, just kind of put your thumb in the middle of the book and open to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, right? So if you find Psalms, then comes Proverbs, and then you find Solomon's next wisdom book, which is Ecclesiastes. And so I want you to go to Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, because we're going to be there for a little bit today. It's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Now, as you're turning there, let me just make you aware, in case you're not, 
that Solomon is this incredibly wise man. And he's writing Ecclesiastes at the end of his life because in spite of the gift of wisdom that God has given him, he hasn't always put that wisdom into play. He's let his flesh guide him too much of the way and he hasn't applied wisdom. And as he comes to the end of his life, he sits down and writes Ecclesiastes as a way of passing on wisdom to us. And we should pay attention to the poetic book of Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I hope you're there by now. We're going to pick it up in verse 9 as he begins to discuss the significance of relationships. Ecclesiastes 4.9, Solomon writes, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Don't miss what he's saying. These are investment tips. This is an investment strategy for a successful life. In verse 9, he talks about a good return. It's an investment strategy. Solomon is saying that if you invest in strong, healthy, significant relationships with people, it will cost you something. There is labor involved. You need to get a good return on your labor. So there is labor involved. Relationships are not easy. Relationships are not clean. Relationships are messy. When you love people, sometimes they add mess to your life. So there is labor involved. But he says you get a good return on your labor. You get a good return on the investment that you make in loving people well. Think of it this way. It's like if you sit down, uh, uh, say, a 20-year-old, and you try to explain to a 20-year-old that he needs to start investing in a retirement fund because one day he's going to be 70 years old and he's not going to want to work anymore or be able to work anymore, and he's going to need an income. Listen, he's 20. He's trying to scrape together enough money to get gas in the car, enough money to go on a date, enough money to... Pick up a pizza on the way home. You tell him, listen, you got to set money aside. You got to invest. He goes, yeah, I would love to. Makes sense, but there's no way. I, I just can't do it. And so he gets through his 20s and he doesn't do it, through his 30s and doesn't do it, through his 40s and doesn't do it. Those are the years when the interest compounds and the investment really pays off. But we miss them. We miss those years because we're not aware of how desperately we're going to need the payoff, the return on the investment later. Most of us who are over 20 made that mistake, didn't we? And it's not easy to recover from. But if you wait to do it, there will be nothing saved up for the day when you need it. Let me, let me sort of give you an example of how this works in relationships. When I was a young pastor, I was in my uh, early to mid-20s. I had just become a senior pastor. I was in over my head. And by the way, I'm still in over my head. I, it's, I had hair when I started, and it's gone now, right? I've been in over my head the whole time. If it's not for God's grace, there's no way I could pastor this church. 
But in those days, I was so keenly aware of how over my head I was. And I went to a guy that I respected, a leader in the Christian community, and I said, hey, I see what a great leader you are. I need you to mentor me. I need to learn how to be a better leader for God's people. I'm in over my head. And he said, well, I'm glad you recognize that. You're clearly in over your head. <laughs> but he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I'm going to put together a, a small group of pastors, a peer group, if you will, and you're going to commit to being in relationship with those pastors and you're going to build deep relationships with those pastors. And in the context of those relationships, you're going to grow into the man God wants you to be. And I listened to him, and I thought about it, and I, honestly, my response was this. I am too busy for that. In fact, I'm not hungry for more relationships. I'm surrounded by a whole church full of people that I'm in relationship with, and I'm messing up those relationships. And he, he convinced me that what I needed more than anything was to be in deep relationships with some other peers, some other pastors. And so I agreed. And I started meeting regularly with this group of six or seven guys. And we developed deep friendships with each other. I'm talking about the kind of thing where we're actually real with each other, where we see each other warts and all, where we pray over each other, where when somebody's hurting, we run to their assistance, where we're allowed to challenge one another and speak truth into one another's lives, where we spend time together with each other's families. We know what's going on in each other's lives. We built that kind of relationship among us, and it was the single most life-changing thing I did during that time. I was so blown away by the impact that those relationships had on me that I made a commitment to God that never again in my life would I not be in a group like that where I made the sacrifice, where I was vulnerable, where I invested in other people. And it has been the most magnificent decision I've made in my ministry life. I'm so thankful for the men who are in my peer group. Now, it hasn't always been the same men. Today, I'm in a peer group with four different pastors, and it is meaningful, and it is deep, and it has such an impact in my life. But I am never going to try to do this thing alone because God called us to do it together. It has cost me something, but it's an investment, and it is paying dividends. And I'm so thankful for that. But here in this passage, we see why investing in healthy relationships is what I'm calling a sure thing. It's a surefire investment strategy. And here's why. Look at verse 10 again. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. Have you noticed that sometimes in life, whether you like to admit it or not, you just need a hand up? You just need somebody who will reach out to you and say, I'm going to help you through this time. And, and it happens in all of our lives that, that sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall, sometimes we go through deep, dark tunnels that are very, very hard to sustain our joy through. And sometimes we need somebody who takes the initiative to come along and reach out to us and lift us up. Guys, you're gonna fall, you know that. You're going to fall from time to time. The question is, when you fall, will you have made the investment so that there's someone walking with you who can give you that 
hand up. Look what it says. Verse 10 again. If either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Verse 11. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Imagine being out in the elements and freezing to death and just need, needing to share that body heat. There's a warmth, right? A warmth that comes in genuine relationships, loving relationships. How are you doing with that? Sometimes we just need the warmth of friendship in our lives. And then finally, it says this, if one can overpower him who is alone, verse 12, two can resist him. How many of you know that sometimes you need somebody to fight alongside of you? Sometimes you're knocked down and you're out for the count and you need somebody to fight for you. Guys, if we do life together in a deep way, there'll be somebody to fight for you. A lot of us have been willing to just settle to have fights with people. But don't you need somebody to fight for you? I do. Let's think about this scripturally. A few weeks ago, we learned about this guy who um, had been stricken with paralysis, and he was physically unable to move. His story is found in Luke chapter 5. So turn to Luke chapter 5 in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, then Luke, and go to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to pick up his story. It's familiar. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but I, I just want us to be reminded of it. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, and listen to the story of this guy. One day he, Jesus, was teaching... And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. So Jesus is healing a bunch of people. In, in other uh, gospels, it tells us about the crowd and all the people he was healing, right? Verse 18. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. So they dropped their friend in his lap. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. And Jesus heals this guy. And it's this amazing story that we talked about a few weeks ago. Check it out on the website if you weren't here for that. But think about the lengths to which this guy's friends went to make sure he had what he needed. Now, before we dismiss this story, these guys carried their friends. When they found an obstacle, they didn't let that stop them. They climbed up on the roof and tore through the roof. There was financial expense. They made a huge commitment to this in order to get their friend what they needed. They went to incredible lengths. And you might say, well, okay, it's a nice Sunday school story. Guys, it's so much more than that, and here's why. Because every now and then, everybody needs to be carried. Everybody. Times of mourning. And you, you can't even bring yourself to stop crying. You need to be carried. Times of financial problems, health issues, broken families. Your dreams are shattered and falling apart. Abuse situation, addiction, legal problems. There are times in all of our lives, not just some of our lives, all of our lives, when we need to be carried. Everybody needs to be carried now and then. 
So when was it for you? I mean, really, think back for a second. When did you need people to come to your rescue, to pick you up, to overcome obstacles on your behalf, to carry you? And who did God use to do it? Who was your stretcher bearer? Who was the one who cut a hole in a roof to get you what you needed? Or think of it this way. When is it going to happen? Because it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Everybody needs to be carried now and then. And when that day comes, will you have made the investment necessary so that there are stretcher carriers to lift you up? And will you be there for others when they're the ones who need a stretcher carrier to lift them up? Oh, friends, this is such an important topic. The Bible has so much to say about this. Now, we're just going to fly through this, but we'll put it in the, on the screen and you can write it in your notes. Let me just give you a few of the hundreds of verses on this topic in Scripture. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with the wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Hebrews 10, 24 in the New Testament, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good, needs, good deeds. We need to stimulate one another to help one another move on to the application of truth in our lives. Psalm 133, 1, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, says Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, now I could go on and on and on, but I hope you're getting the point by now. This kind of relationship teaching is on almost every page of this book. You can't miss it if you read your Bible. But I think that by now you get the point. Genuine community. Loving relationships, devoted families. This is the foundation of a healthy society. And once we have the vertical relationship with God right, we need to set ourselves toward getting that horizontal relationship with people right. And those are relationships you're going to have to work on. And yes, you do have to work on them. Because great relationships don't just happen by osmosis. Healthy relationships don't happen just because you live next door to somebody for 10 years. Um, they don't happen because you work in the same office or you attend the same church. They happen when you, when you, when you, when you make the investment. It's a surefire investment strategy. But you have to make the investment. The payout only comes for those who make the investment. This is why I'm always telling people that good marriages need counseling from time to time. 
Great marriages don't happen by accident. It's not a matter of luck. Healthy families don't happen as a matter of luck. They happen because we make the investment. Healthy churches don't happen as a matter of luck. They happen because we make the investment and God blesses it. So, how are you doing with your most important investments? Your vertical relationship with God. Remember the cross that we put up here before? Your vertical relationship with God needs your attention. Your horizontal relationship with people need your attention. God's word makes it abundantly clear. These kinds of investments will pay out eternally. Eternally. So what are you investing in? Who are you investing in? What are you going to do to ensure that those investments are strong and healthy so they pay off in the way that God has designed them to pay off? We're going to talk more about what this looks like specifically in the local church next week. I hope you will be here for that and join us because God is doing a revolutionary thing in changing our relationships. If you'll just let him have that access to your heart, he will transform your life through your vertical relationship with God, your horizontal relationship with people. Don't miss the opportunity for him to change your life and change the world through you. Let's pray together. God, we just want to thank you again because you meet us in your word every time we open it. We thank you, God, that you have a plan for our lives that has to do with a relationship with you, and you have done what it takes to make that possible. And so, God, inspire us, fill us with courage and hope so that we will engage that relationship in a healthy way. We thank you that you, too, are the key to our horizontal relationships, that we can have relationships with one another that are deep because of what you have done in our lives. Don't just do something in us. Do something through us, God, we pray. Help us, Father, to put into practice the things you're teaching us and to live differently because of your word. For it's in your name and for your glory that we pray.